Hello, welcome to Chairwell Looks In, a brand new Chairwell podcast. My name is Sophie Elliott and we're here today to discuss zines at Oxford. To kick things off, I'll hand over to a selection of zines editors and contributors to introduce themselves. I'm Trudy Ross, um, I'm editor-in-chief at Chairwell and I'm also one of the editors for Country Living. I'm Rita, I was formerly editor-in-chief of the ISIS. Hi, I'm Helena and I was editor-in-chief of High Pufel magazine, which was a lockdown arts collective which ran between March and September of 2020. Hi, my name's Nitu and I was the co-editor of the Common Fun Journal. Hiya, I'm Rose and I founded That's Hot Scene and last year I was on the team for Country Living Scene as well. Hi, I'm Kitty and I'm one of the editors of Country Living with Trudy and Rose last year. So the first question is, what do you think makes a zine? So what do you think makes a zine different to a normal student journal? I feel like the big thing is that it's self-published and independent. It's for like a niche, usually. There's like some sort of specific interest, some sort of message, or it's for like a particular demographic. Um, I also find that it like, it's the vibe of it is more like handmade right it's not meant to be like super professional literally I have like a vegan zine that my friend made for me that's two pages folded together to make like a tiny little a7 zine that she stitched up herself or it can be like a bigger sort of collaborative zine with maybe like nine members on the team or working together for it yeah I would agree with Rose I would say like a zine is very organic and I think it's often it's um, zines are often like free or very accessible to a lot of people from being like Rose says often very short or freely distributed and also you can kind of you don't have to distribute a zine a lot of people do make zines just for their own sort of like enjoyment and I think that shows that a zine is really kind of just a form of self-expression or creativity. I think both of those answers are so um, like so true and I think that kind of idea of it being something sort of personal and personal expression is really important. And I think as well, just the sort of the way that people are encouraged, as many different people are encouraged to sort of contribute their own ideas and their own things. And it's sort of, it's it's a form of self-expression. It's not supposed to be something that's super kind of streamlined. It's self-published. It's kind of homegrown in a sense. And it's just, it's like a personal project. It's like something you would do for fun. It's less of a kind of a, a job and a, like a professional sort of work and it's more of this is your own personal project. You get so much more freedom when you know that the readership are sort of like-minded people to you who have similar interests like with Country Living Zine for example it's this zine which only allows contributors who are women and non-binary people which I think allows for the freedom of people writing quite cathartic personal pieces that they wouldn't necessarily want anyone ever to read like the stuff on grief or poems about maybe like sexual assault and it allows you to publish something and put it out there to the world which can feel quite freeing and quite cathartic but also know that it won't be read by the wrong people and it'll be well received by the person who picks up and opens the scene I think that's quite uh, true. It's particularly something, it's something quite liberating about a zine format, I think, and that's for people who work as editors, but also for contributors. 
like you don't have to keep everything within these set sections and these sort of set word limits, particularly if you're online or you're in a sort of like hand stitched format, like Rose was talking about earlier. Um, so like during Five Beautiful magazine, we had a section called the Lockdown Journal Collective, which essentially allowed people to put their most sort of innermost thoughts about lockdown out on the internet anonymously or not. And it's something that you wouldn't necessarily see published in a sort of professional literary magazine. You might see a diary piece that would be heavily streamlined and edited, but to have such a kind of like fluid sort of stream of consciousness relating people's immediate experiences of something like coronavirus or, or like experiences of women and non-binary people, I feel like that's something that the zine format really liberates you to share. I think in like in that respect, I think zines are so um, closely linked to the idea of community and like this kind of almost conversation. And I think particularly with Country Living, because we don't really very much edit the pieces. So that, like Rose says, they have this real honesty to them. And it, it is like what you were saying about the lockdown journey, there is this just level of real organic and raw kind of feeling that I think it really suits the kind of medium of a zine being so sort of homemade looking. The point was raised then that the readership is great because you all share a mutual interest, right? That's why you're all contributing to the scene. So, for example, Helena Rose, you are both part of scenes that have been fairly recently established. So how was that process of coming up with a content idea and then the structure around the content? I think with High Pew magazine, it was it was quite it's been quite interesting these past few weeks as we've had the first year anniversary of lockdown, is how quickly we got off the ground after the national lockdown was announced on the 23rd of March 2020. Um, really within a week, I came up with the initial idea of doing some sort of lockdown arts project. And then we had a team of about 10 people who'd expressed interest within a week and began to kind of build a platform drawing on different people's interests. So one person bought this idea of a journal collective. One person bought an idea of a quite, um, a sort of positive things that are happening, positive news newsletter. Um, other people bought sort of poetry editorial skills that worked in collaboration with people so we didn't have this kind of confrontational editorial style that might alienate people who were already perhaps distressed by lockdown. So I guess with Hypethor magazine it was really a response to a crisis situation which we saw art as a way to mitigate. Um, our, our tagline was art equals survival and I think that kind of summed up what the message and the structure was for us. With That's Hot Zine it was also sort of like born in lockdown I'd been wanting to start a project about sustainable fashion for a while because I think it's something that's really missing in Oxford is fashion-based sort of societies and events and I have so many friends who make their own clothes and during lockdown it became a sort of hobby that a lot of people picked up and so I thought it'd be a really lovely way to create a community especially during COVID when you can't, there wasn't really a guarantee that we'd be able to run events, but that we could start sort of conversations about uh, sustainable fashion. And I'd be able to promote my friends who sell their own clothes and who make their own things and promote a lot of really great local ethically sourced businesses. So that was how that hot zine sort of came about. This sort of feeds into setting up a zine, because as we said before, there are topics that are not quite explored in Oxford that could translate really well to that sort of zine format. So country living, for example, and the ISIS, you've 
really well translated both print edition and digital editions. So I wondered if you noticed either a difference in the readership between both or if there's been trends in popularity between both print and digital uh, as you've been editor and contributor. I think one of the most um, important kind of things is to sort of mention is kind of that since we and Kitty have been on the country living team it's obviously been quite difficult in terms of print editions. We did have a print edition in Michaelmas, but um, it's it's been a lot harder to kind of distribute things. You can't have sort of fun launch events, which are a really big part of sort of the zine culture in Oxford, I think, to be able to have club nights, to have drinks nights at, at different sort of locations and cool pubs. Like, And in, in a lot of ways, that's sort of the way in which people will, will go to the event, they'll have a good time, you know, they'll buy a zine. And that's a really lovely part of it. And obviously, so obviously there's been a kind of definitely sort of a decrease in the number of print um, copies being sold of zines. But also, I would say an increase in the kind of amount of digital interaction. And, and just in turn, turn, like on that kind of note of like lockdown and, and things like at the same time, as sort of Rose and Helen are saying, a lot of zines are born out of this of lockdown and, and people wanting to get creative. And we do get a lot of content. I know for the the Trinity zine last year for Country Living that was editing, um, that we had, there were so many submissions just because people really wanted to get creative and get into it. But yeah, I think, I think that is one kind of void boost fire in the works. Maybe Rose also talks about like how the print and digital editions sort of worked when things were a bit more normal. Um, but yeah, that's sort of been our experience of it so far, I guess. Yeah, I think we've reached a lot more people. We have had a lot more reach from like people in America, um, whereas it might have been just more of an Oxford-based reach, which has been really nice because then you get a lot more diverse submissions or from people from lots of very different experiences. But like Trudy says, we haven't really had a print issue more because of the fact as well that we, we use like um, green print, which is in based in Oxford, but the way they print involves like kind of, it's not so much sending off, it's actually quite manual. And it involved Annabelle, one of the other editors, like with like a massive stapler and like they gave her noise cancelling headphones just doing all of them for about like I think it was like it almost took a whole day just folding each page and stapling them all together so in the end we just for this time I'm not sure we'll do it for a while but yeah I'm sure Rose could tell you more about the actual printing from Green Print which is a really good printing company. That is so sad because putting together and assembling the zines was my favourite part of doing country living is once a term we would get to go to the East Oxford Community Centre which is where Greenprint is based and it'd be about four of us from the team we'd go we'd all like we'd make a little assembly line where we'd each like fold up the different zines and staple them together we'd play Dolly Parton it's a lot of Dolly Parton always we'd have these really like deep chats and because it was like four or five of us it'd take you know three to four hours and then we'd get South Hall Bake it was like our little tradition it's so sad that you guys don't get to experience that but hopefully the team next year if anyone's listening would want to apply that's brilliant and then me too with Common Ground Journal could you explain a little bit about how that is distributed so is that mainly digital I was, uh, so I was co to last year and last year was the year where we kind of figured out, we realised that having a physical copy was A, not really going to be possible um, and B, probably not as useful anymore because given the pandemic, like everyone is at home and using their screens and I think seeing something that's a bit more refreshing 
um, other than like you know tutorial work and stuff on your screen would probably do them a lot better than we than we um, than, than like before. So in terms of its like production in our year. We had a, a kind of local printing company. I don't remember the name, sorry. <laughs> and then this year, I think they're, they're going to be printing it soon as well. But yeah, we I think we prefer to kind of go online now because we're realizing that there's a lot of power in having stuff online compared to physical copies. Because with the Common Ground Journal, the whole point of it is not just for Oxford Uni students, but to involve the local community and to kind of dismantle the, the notion that like, true academic writing because it's it is primarily an academic journal so true academic writing like exists in oxford um it's actually outside of oxford university that we find some really really rich pieces so having like physical copies in every jcr like we realized that that just wasn't it like it wasn't cutting it anymore and having an online kind of version would really universalize um like sharing the common ground journal with people and also it ultimately i think while i was co-editor it was about access for me I felt like um, zine culture was very kind of inaccessible and exclusive and it required an artsy kind of person to do it and it required an aesthetic vibe and I'm just none of that and and I knew that some of um, some of the greatest writing comes from really diverse voices and so yeah so, so I think us kind of transitioning to an online uh, presence was really really important. We also have a website as well so on the website we post our articles as well as have in the actual a zine or journal and then we share it on our social media handles so there's kind of a uh, a kind of full-bodied like a journal that you get to experience but also each article that you really really care about that's easily accessible as well and I think for us it became really important to make sure that we kind of made that transition online. So actually you mentioning the inaccessibility of zines lends really well to the next type of conversation which is how to set up a zine or even how to maintain the zine that's already been set up so what was your experience with sort of going around funding hiring people making sure it gets the the virality the distribution that it requires well i think for the isis events have traditionally been really important so like a big part of how we make enough money to print in the past has been uh, the like the music events and stuff that we've done over the years so like Fortnite has been a big one where we have like local performers come and everyone can just like come and have a little dance and stuff and we've also had like poetry readings or you know events where we can just showcase creative talent and also like build community um and yeah I mean it's, it's important because first of all like we can ticket so that we can actually print but also just like having people there in a space together you know um creates like an artistic community I think that gets people interested in our content in the first place um so having that kind of visibility even if it's just like online poetry events as we've had to do over the past several terms um yeah that's been really important for us to get into the specifics how does funding work is there someone within the university that you approach with that does it depend on the content you produce with the that's hot zine did you need funding for that and if so where did you go to to acquire that uh, so that's hot zine was I knew that funding was going to be challenging because obviously this year isn't a normal year um lockdown has meant that we can't run events which is the normal way that you would raise money for zines but what is really great about Oxford University is that everyone and every college has JCR funding money available 
and it depends on each college. Each college has a different budget and some colleges are more generous to zines than others. I go to Wadham, which is traditionally very generous when it comes to funding zines and funding art projects. So I knew that I was guaranteed 250 to 300 pounds from them. And so I just approached every member of the zine team and asked them to write a motion asking for funding for their, from their JCR. And we raised about 700 pounds, which was perfect because that's exactly the money I ended up needing for the two print runs that I get to do this year with the two in, in person terms. Fantastic. It's great to hear about specifics just because, as we said, it's inaccessible. People don't quite know how to approach it. So it's brilliant to hear, you know, the numbers and the figures needed to make it happen. Um, and maybe for more well established. So, for example, the ISIS reader, how does that? work is it the similar process every single year you have to make your application and, and present what you're going to to print yeah um so for us we have like a team drive at the end of each term um so that's where like people apply for different positions within the team and then um at the start of the next term when we usually have like our pitch drive um so uh yeah even if you've been a former team member or if you've been published before you have to re-pitch like an article or uh, like a photography project or something that you'd like to do and each term we change our theme for that terms issue um so like usually we try to take pieces that revolve around that um and yeah and i think in the past um the themes have been just kind of quite similar in that they've been like abstract one word themes uh, like awakening was our Michaelmas term one when i was editor last term we kind of tried to change things up and we went with hot pot as a theme and um, so hopefully i i, I think it'd be nice to see kind of more like concrete very you know like distinct themes going forward so that people with different interests can contribute so that we have like a really diverse set of issues um going forward great and for the high people magazine that was it created with the whole intended purpose of it being short term, right? You created that knowing it was only going to be half a year. Do you think that affected the way you structured your content or distributed your content? Yeah, so we set it up intending it to be solely a lockdown zine. Um, and it was just for the first lockdown. We debated starting it up again in November, but uh, the team had other commitments. And we were we were hopeful that things would be normal by Christmas. Obviously, unfortunately, that wasn't the case. But yeah, so our whole timeline and our whole editorial process in particular was structured around COVID. And it particularly, like Nita was talking about earlier, making arts more accessible during COVID. So we came from a background of people who'd submitted to zines quite a lot before and had found that the editorial process quite often meant that maybe like the writer or the, the creative's opinions sometimes got lost in the process. So we had like an open door policy that everything that was submitted we would accept and that our editorial process would be very collaborative, centred on the work itself rather than on kind of like editorial vision, although obviously there was kind of input, there was technicalities. And this was something that was really made possible by having it as a short term project, because we could accept everything. We could say, OK, we've not got room for you this week, but next week um, we'll be able to publish your work. We can give you an extended deadline. And then there was always content and there was always kind of fresh new voices because people weren't afraid of submitting to us. And I think that's something in terms of talking about accessibility that people who are setting up zines might want to kind of bear in mind. What is your editorial process? Kind of like, how do you send to your work? What's the sort of vision that you want to get across and yeah like a short-term being especially if you're just getting into it great okay and we've already touched upon the fact that producing a zine 
digitally reaches probably a wider audience is easier during the current pandemic. Where do you think the future of zine is going? Do you think in the end it will end up all online? I really hope not. I think there's something really lovely about zines being meant to come across as handmade and collagey and not perfect and you can pick one up at your local cafe or walk into your JCR and have a leaf through all the different scenes there are. I think there's something really quite special about having a physical copy of something that it stays on your shelf forever. I have about probably like 25 different zines on my shelf currently of like different editions that I've picked up over my years at Oxford and I'll treasure those forever I think which I feel like publishing digitally when I we did a couple editions for Country Living last year it just it doesn't feel as sort of satisfactory I don't know um, I think there's something really special about creating something and being able to physically hold it in your hand. Trudy, do you, would you agree with that, that statement that is still going to be kept in circulation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's obviously really important to be able to have that option to publish things digitally. And it does mean you can reach a wider audience and it makes it more accessible for a lot of people. But at the same time, I so agree, like having the tangible thing that you've like sort of created and the fact that it is sort of so personal and so many people have come together to kind of make it having that tangible thing I think is really amazing and as well just the kind of events that we're talking about that the ice is doing sort of Freud and you'll go I just remember in first year kind of going to to Freud or wherever some kind of edgy Oxford bar and they sort of have like some people doing some spoken word poetry and some different artists and then they'd have the copies on the table and just be able to go to that and like take something home from it was a really amazing experience which I think is really sort of specific to kind of zine culture so yeah I think that 100% print printing zines should still be prioritized but also I think it's great that the, like people have kind of developed being able to publish things digitally so now if you don't have the means to do that if you don't have the funding to do it there are other ways of putting your work out there which is a lot cheaper and a lot easier and people who you know anyone can sort of just read it online yeah I think that's really important I was yeah I was gonna say as well I think also people do want the print copies because even though we've been releasing our issues on issue the like sharing platform people are still buying them and I think in a way I think zines are actually sort of coming back in. They're seen as kind of retro in a way. There's a lot of like, I can't actually remember the name of the specific zine, but there is a zine that literally its whole kind of niche and novelty is that it it um kind of mimics the magazines that you would buy as a kid when in like 2002 or 2003. And that kind of aesthetic is like the whole this whole idea really. And I think recently there was a Netflix film called Moxie that also has features a zine in it. And that was very popular and the kind of I think particularly for feminist scenes that's so deeply ingrained in kind of like riot girl feminist kind of creative culture that I think it's not something that could be really easily erased. Yeah I think I don't know I think after the pandemic I think everyone is going to value the physical more than we ever have um, and so zines will be back and kind of I think better and bigger than ever I mean some of us are graduating this year and when I leave Oxford I know that say I come back in a few years to Pembroke School, for example, I know that I will be able to talk to people who who are who have developed a more kind of um, 
I'm not sure, uh, just a more like the more bodily experiential culture with zines and magazines. And I think there is a power in having this artifact. Like I remember like when I was co-editor of Comrade Journal, we were working so, and as as we all have and were working so hard to produce this baby almost and like seeing seeing it come and seeing it in flesh, like it does I, it definitely does have a bigger impact than online um publication. So yeah, I definitely agree. I do I definitely do not think that people are gonna kind of continue um on with online scenes if they do have the means to produce its physical copies i definitely think there's going to be a power and almost a gross as well in in producing physical copies how have you found the best way to spread the zine is is it through facebook is it through social media in general as a specific medium which is the most efficient in reaching as many people as possible or is it these events that where people come and enjoy themselves and then see the magazine as well I think it's hard to say for us just because like the ISIS has been around for such a long time that I think it's just kind of gained a reputation on its own um but I guess from my personal experience I think like the way I found out about it was more through just like word of mouth I yeah because I mean we do have social media and like we do like we've definitely gotten more engagement since we started using our social media more so since the pandemic started but it's it's just quite impersonal i think to be like oh come to this like social event uh, over zoom uh it's not particularly appealing unless you're already friends with the people whereas i feel like i don't know if one of your friends says oh like there's this event at freud tonight do you want to go um and then you get to like meet a bunch of different people it's just so much more impactful i think um and leaves a lot more of an impression yeah i think just like personal connections is really how i feel isis has gained a lot of its popularity and what i think is the most important part of it um also just a question that i've thought of, just since mentioning the moxie movie which is obviously reminded a lot more people about the zine and it being important in different movements and reaching different people would you say there's a difference between uh, a movement being sparked by a zine over any other form of more traditional media? So would you say a zine has a different effect on starting a movement? I think someone made the point before. Um, it was I think it was Rosa Kitty said, um, talking about kind of how a zine creates a sense of community because it's a large group of people um, coming together to sort of express their own kind of personal ideas about a topic um and so i do think that that is something which can create sort of such kind of fire around an issue and often because it's it's sort of personal projects that people start because they want to do it they want to see their art i think that does mean that often it's about issues which are really kind of close to people's hearts and things that they really care about and so yeah i do think that there is like a really strong link between movements and zine culture one of our one girl on our team I was going about this because I think it's so cool. I'm sure she will mind me saying she's doing her dissertation on this um, kind of, it was kind of like a zine um, basically back in the 70s called Woman's Spirit, where these group of women sort of lived on this commune and they all sort of submitted art and poetry and things to this magazine and kind of made it together, which is really cool because it's kind of really similar to what we try to do at Country Living now. And I think that kind of the way in which sort of that's gone on for so many centuries, or not even if not centuries, a long time. And just to sort of bring people together. Um, I think, yeah, I think it does, it does sort of link to 
an artistic and expressive movement, definitely. I think it has a power to do that because it's so sort of authentic and raw in a lot of ways. Yeah, I wonder how much the movement can actually be separated from the zine itself as like a kind of piece, I guess, a zine in a way. But it's especially political zines are kind of like sort of like manifestos or something. I know Country Living has that, like pledges at the start of it. And um, it is sort of like part of the movement in the same way a political manifesto or like peace would be part of a movement. I think the really interesting thing about what you were saying about women's spirit and also Moxie and then it really reminded me of um, a documentary called Dirty Girls, which is from the 90s, I think, or the early 2000s. And it's a documentary made by this, this group of eighth graders in Los Angeles, maybe. And um, it's one of their classmates made it for his film class in eighth grade. But um, the girls in it make a zine and they, they kind of develop this aesthetic as dirty girls because they sort of start protesting the patriarchy really by not washing and just wearing like really sort of baggy clothes and stuff and that zine makes it all the way around school even though they're sort of like 13 year olds making it and it's really mocked actually it's it's shown in the documentary to be ridiculed but it has this power because the kind of the documentary has been watched so many times even today and it has the kind of sort of community element to it and people still talk about it in zine culture and stuff and I think these things really do have a long-lasting effect and kind of can be seen again in Moxie the same way it happened in sort of real life. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Cheryl's brand new podcast. I hope this has given you a good insight into zines at Oxford and it will help you get involved yourselves. (laughs) 